Well, my household has now completed um, seven full days of school. I know that many of you have also already restarted this season's rigorous pursuit of academic excellence. Some of you have yet to restart the school year. I don't know why you could possibly be clapping about not restarting the school year, but that's fine. <laughs> um, just by raise of hands, let's just, have a, can we do a blind survey? I love blind surveys, so you don't have to do anything. Just close your eyes, uh, and then I'll have you raise your hand if this affects you, you know, so that way we can all be super honest. Um, just by raise of hands, how many of you are ready or were ready for kids to go back to school? Okay, some of you didn't even close your eyes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't care. Send them back. <laughs> um, I was ready. I was ready for my kids to go back to school, but not because I was necessarily trying to get rid of them or they were aggravating. Um, they can be at times, but, um, but not because of that. I wasn't, you know, like tired of dealing with them or, or anything like that. Um, I love summer. I love the flexibility that it offers. It's great. It's awesome. And we have a great time. Um, I love uh, that time with my kids. Um, but I also love the schedule of the school year. And I say that in all seriousness. I'm, I'm being serious. I really do. I love the schedule of the school year. I love the soccer games. My son plays goalie as, uh, for the soccer team. Uh, my other son runs cross country. I love the soccer meets, uh, the, or the soccer games, the cross country meets, uh, the Friday night football games. Uh, I love the rhythm uh, that the school year provides. It's, it's really awesome because it's like work, 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 and do all these things in the structure. But here's the other part I love about the school year, to be honest with you. I really love the, the weekends during the school year because it makes it so much more meaningful. It makes the weekends so much more um, significant uh, during the school year. You know, over the summer, weekends are kind of just like every other day, right? You know, like it's just another day and the kids are just kind of have this flexibility and, and you're trying to, you know, keep them busy or whatever. But during the school year, um, suddenly the weekends, they take on, for me at least, and my family, this whole new level of importance and significance, right? Uh, you know, you get to stay up a little later on Friday night and maybe on Saturday night, although we try to get in bed at a decent time to be ready for church. And uh, you get to sleep in maybe a little bit occasionally. Sometimes there's other stuff happening. But I love that. Uh, one of the other things I love about the school year are the stories that I get to hear with my, from my kids. Uh, that, is a, that is an important time for me and my wife, uh, a significant time in our, in our family dynamic, the stories that we get to hear from them. You know, sometimes I'm away from my kids, and I'm sure that many of you can attest to this, uh, seven or eight hours at a time during the school day. You know, and sometimes if they've got extracurricular things, uh, you know, school or soccer or cross country in our context uh, or whatever it is, you know, there are times where it's, uh, they leave the house before seven in the morning uh, the kids do, and I don't see them. I don't lay eyes on them again. I mean, we're exchanging text and things of that nature, but I don't get to lay eyes on them um, for until like eight or nine o'clock at night. You know what I mean? By the time they get back home and, and get back um, to the house. Uh, but when you're away from your kids, at least for me, it kind of makes that time that you have with them uh, so much more exciting, right? Because you want to hear how their day was. You want to hear what happened in this class or what happened with that person or whatever the case is. And so I always look forward to those times of picking my kids up. Sometimes Sarah and I even go together uh, when it's not really even convenient for us to go together. But we go together because we want to have that time uh, with the kids and to hear about the day's uh, events and, and what happened. Those are just 
just significant and times of joy, to be honest with you, for my wife and I. But I'll be honest and tell you that uh, not every aspect of my children returning to school uh, provides me with a sense of joy personally. Even in the midst of the precious moments, honestly, of listening to my, my sons tell their stories uh, about the day, even in the midst of the renewed joy of the weekend, uh, because like I said, the weekends are so much more joyful. Even as I attend sporting events, yesterday we were uh, in Dayton, north of Dayton, all day, uh, in the morning for a cross-country meet and in the evening for a soccer game, and we didn't even come home. We just stayed there and like just putzed around in Dayton and did stuff because we felt like it was a waste to come home. But even in the midst of all of that and enjoying all of those things, even as I savor the Friday night, Friday night we were at a football game, I got to work concessions, it was just a lot of fun uh, to be there and be around those people. Um, even as I do all of that, as I bask in the rhythm, the newfound rhythm of the school year, church, there is still one sliver of darkness that lurks just around the, the corner. There's this one, this constant, ever-threatening um, component of our educational system that just seems to, to rear its ugly head on a daily basis that I have yet to master. When this particular topic comes to the forefront of discussion, I immediately, I'll be honest with you, and I'm ashamed of this, but I immediately disengage from the conversation. Uh, I try to run for cover. I quickly busy myself with everything and anything else that needs to be done or not done just so that I don't have to be a part of it. I make myself as scarce as possible during these moments for fear that one of my children will turn and will look to me for help with their homework. <laughs> I loathe homework. I'm just going to be honest with you. And parents, I apologize. This is not a great example for your children. But I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you that I just, I loathe. And here's my struggle with homework. I've really put some thought into this idea, to be honest with you. Um, I have put some significant thought into this concept. And here's my struggles. I've narrowed it down to three main reasons that I loathe Homework. Number one, I'll be honest and tell you that I wasn't a great student. I really wasn't. I mean, I wasn't awful. I wasn't awful. But I certainly, by the stretch of no one's imagination, was I a straight-A student. I just wasn't. Um, I got C's, and it was like, cool. C stood for cool, in fact. There you go. There, there you go. I mean, it was, it was cool in my household. Like, it was just it, and I'm not. I mean, it's just what it is. I mean, it's just what it was. And I'm, I'm, I wasn't awful, but I wasn't a great student. I struggled uh, a, a little bit in that area. So I think that's part of it for me to be honest with you. I struggled in school. That's part of my struggle with homework. Uh, two, uh, I've been out of school, as many of you can, uh, can agree with me and attest, that we've been out of school for, for a while now. I'm just going to say it like that. Been out of, you know what I'm saying? Been out of school for a while now. So forgive me if I don't know how to divide the... <laughs> The exponential equivalent of a triangle on a lunar eclipse Thursday or whatever. Like these, these, these word, I'll be honest with you, these word problems are ridiculous. Like they're just, they're, they're just silly and, and goofy and I don't, shocker, that di problem didn't come up today at the, around the water cooler, right? You know, where I had to figure out how to do that. I'm not, I'm just telling you. Anyway, so I'm a little out of practice. The third part of my struggle with homework and part of the reason that I loathe homework and then it, it doesn't make me happy at all, is probably the largest portion. 
ever talked about or learned anything about any of the problems on this homework paper. Right? You guys know, students, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I find that very difficult to believe, that you've not learned anything. And I literally look at my sons, I'm like, well, do you have notes? They're like, Dad, we haven't talked about any of this. (laughs) I just, I don't know what they want me to do at that point. Because if you haven't talked about it, and I'm not the teacher, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I'm probably not unlike many students and many, maybe even some of you parents who chuckled along in agreement. Um, when I say that homework, um, it sucks the life of my soul. <laughs> it, it does. I'm going to be honest with you. It really does. It just, I just, I mean, my wife and I are almost in agreement on this. I mean, she has a little bit more patience for it. But when they come in and they're like, hey, can I ask you a question? We're like, ah, oh. like we just, we don't even know what to do or it just, it really does make it difficult. Well, maybe for you it's not uh, homework, but I think that we can all identify with things or circumstances or relationships uh, in our lives uh, that cause us to lose joy. Um, I think we identify those things. We could even call those things these joy suckers uh, out of our lives uh, right in the midst of that. Uh, in fact, let me just do another little blind survey since we've had some experience with this now. Now, this is, a, now this is some of you, please close your eyes. This is going to get really awkward. Um, if you don't close your eyes. And please, under no circumstances are you allowed to point. Okay, don't, don't point, okay? Okay, so here we go. A little blind survey, just with a spirit of honesty. You close your eyes just by raise of hands. Uh, how many of you would say that you work uh, with a joy sucker? You work with a joy sucker. Somebody who sucks the joy right out of your day and out of life in general. So many hands. Okay, good. That's good. Okay. Uh, how many of you feel as though at times, eyes closed, that you have, either in the, you have either raised or are currently raising someone who could be considered a joy sucker. You know what I mean? Like, just sometimes, be honest, it's okay. I mean, that's cool. And some parents are pointing. Please don't do that. Okay. So, here we go. A couple more. How many of you, now this is going to get difficult, so please, please close your eyes. How many of you, and this is just the reality, and this is why we're talking about this topic today, so don't be offended over this. How many of you have ever been in a small group or a Bible study with a joy sucker? Okay. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes there's people that just like, you know, okay. Uh, and this is a, this is a, this is a, a tough one, too. Um, how many of you, and please, please, please keep your eyes closed, uh, at times, not always, but at times, it feels like you're married to a joy sucker. Okay, last one. How many of you at least a few times a week have joy-sucking moments in your life in any context? Okay, I mean just a few times a week at least, that's fine. What was funny about that is when I said the married thing, I saw one person, they literally went like this. Everybody watching, they went. (laughs) I'm going to email their spouse. Here's what I want to do this morning, church, as, as we talk about this. And we laugh about that. But, but listen, I mean, that's the reality of life sometimes, that there are people that, that suck the joy out of a situation. There are times in our lives where we feel like the joy is being sucked out of our lives. You know what I mean? Just for a variety of reasons. There's times in our lives that we succumb to that um, when, when we shouldn't. 
you know, we allow the joy to be sucked out of our lives uh, when, when we don't need to do that. So here's what I want to do this morning. I, I want to help us redefine those joy-sucking moments as something more significant. As something more significant. You see, I think we've come to accept these, these joy-sucking moments as just a normal part of life. And they are right? I mean, I understand that, and I, under, I, I get that. I understand that idea, that they're unavoidable. It's inevitable that at, at times in life, there are going to be moments where you and I don't feel joy uh, like we should. There's going to be moments where we're in situations or in circumstances or in relationship with certain people where that's just the reality uh, of that, and they're a normal part of life, and they're unavoidable, and they're inevitable. I get that. But I think sometimes this, and I've been thinking a lot about this this week, sometimes this, that because of the frequency with which these, these moments have happened, and, and continue to happen in our lives, we've come to accept them as really, as really no big deal. And I want to challenge us this morning to think about these instances. I want you to think about those, those joy-sucking moments or interactions with this person or with that person. I want to challenge you to think about those events in your life that cause joy to evaporate. And I want to challenge you to consider those moments as significant moments. Now listen to this. This is going to kind of set up the rest of our time together this morning. I want you to, I want to challenge you to consider those significant moments when you are making the choice to either continue to walk in the spirit or to diverge from the spirit and walk in the flesh. You see, I think if we could reframe those moments as significant, because that's really what's happening in those moments. We're making the choice to continue to walk in the Spirit, or we're making the choice to diverge from the Spirit and walk in the flesh. Now, to some of you, that seems a, a little harsh, like, you know, maybe I'm assigning uh, perhaps too much spirituality to, to, to what is a, just a, a frustrating moment or just an aggravating person or, 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 or whatever. Uh, and, I, and, you know, and some of us are thinking, hey, you know, that's just a normal part of life, uh, you know, because I just, I'm having a tough day or I'm just frustrated with my coworker or my kid or whatever. I'm human. Sometimes I lose my joy. I get it. And I hear you loud and clear because I'm in the same I'm in the same boat with you. I'm right there with you, and sometimes in my own life, I experience these moments or these seasons of a lack of joy. But here's the problem. I don't see anywhere, and I'm challenging myself on this topic as much as I'm here this morning to challenge us as a corporate body on this concept. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God accepts a half commitment or, or an excuse for not walking in the Spirit. In fact, Scripture is packed full of God's expressed desire that you and I as his children would continually, every day and in every way, strive to become more like him. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 37, it says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What is that? That's total commitment. It's not talking about perfection, but it's talking about the effort by which we give this commitment, and it's total commitment. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's total commitment. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time or so much of your money or so much of your work. I want you. 
I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want the whole tree. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desire you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. I mean, isn't that the cry? Shouldn't that be the cry of every Christ follower? To strive continually every day to walk in the Spirit. Even when those joy-sucking moments come along. Allow me to explain what I believe to be the source of our half-hearted attempts to follow Jesus. And I think this is the case for a lot of areas in life, but specifically in the context of our discussion this morning in the area of joy. The problem is that our lack of joy has become what I like to call culturally acceptable, right? It's become culturally uh, acceptable in that we've developed this idea that as long as we're, as long as we are more joyful than that person, then we're okay. And, and we've, we've developed this idea that as long as we're mostly joyful, then we're good. We've developed this concept that nine times out of ten ain't bad. It's kind of this mentality that we've developed when it, when it comes to talking about and dealing with the joy in our lives. And here's the problem, church, what I believe is the problem for us excusing away our loss of joy. The scripture is clear that joy is a result, and I've referred to this earlier, I referenced this a moment ago, that joy is a result of you and I as Christ followers walking in the Spirit. That's the source of our joy. And so I just want us to just kind of reframe this for a moment and come to the understanding that if we have these seasons where we're not walking in joy, what really is going on there is that we're not walking in the Spirit. See, we need to begin to reframe that understanding that it's not just culturally acceptable, well, I'm mostly joyful, or I'm the most, I'm the most joyful person in my office. Okay. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? We've kind of watered our, our, our walking in the spirit. We've watered it down. As long as, we're, well, as long as we're better than the people around us, then we're okay. Listen, I don't see anywhere in scripture where God says that's the approach. He tells us to walk in the spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, a familiar passage to many of us. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you will be doing what your sinful, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. What does our sinful nature crave? A lack of joy. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes it just feels good. Can we just be honest? That sometimes it just feels good to be frustrated. I mean, it's not a good feeling in the sense of it feels good because I know it's right. But it's this good feeling in the sense of slopping around in the mud a little bit. 
You know, I almost get this image. I was thinking about this week, uh, this concept this week. It's almost this, this imagery in my mind of we're like little old piggies, you know, just slopping around in the mud. Like we're just rooting our nose down in there and we just want to roll around in it. And we just want to get dirty and we just want to roll around in the muck and the mire. And we just want to, sometimes we just want to gripe and complain and we want to whine and we want to cry. And we just, you know what? I just want to tell Joy to take a long walk off a short pier. I don't want to be joyful. You know, I mean, that's, but listen, that's what, that's what our sinful nature desires. That's what our sinful nature longs for. Sometimes we just want to be joyless for a little bit. That's what our nature desires to do. But what you and I are called to do as Christ followers is to walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, church, we're clearly told what the results will be. Galatians chapter 5. From verse 16, we jump up a little bit to verse 22. Verses 22 to 26 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading. Listen to this. In every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I said earlier that I want us to begin to to reframe these joyless moments of our lives and begin to really understand what's happening in those moments. And here's the thought. What's really happening in those moments of joylessness is that you and I are choosing, as I said earlier, to step away from walking with the Spirit of God. And we're choosing to walk alone. It's as if we're looking at God in those moments. And listen, church, I just believe if we could reframe our thinking in this way, I think it would just, it would revolutionize our walk with Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you, I really think it will. If we can really begin to understand that as we enter into those joyless moments, in essence, what we're doing, church, is we're looking at God, we're sticking a hand up, and we're saying, no thanks. I mean, none of us would ever really acknowledge that that's what we're doing, but I don't see any other way to look at it. In those moments of my life personally where I'm choosing to not walk in joy, where I'm choosing to gripe and to complain and to whine and to be frustrated and to just soak in that and dig around like a little piggy with my nose in the mud, in those moments I'm looking at God and I'm saying, I got this. And I've been challenging myself this week to say, Andy, is that really what you're prepared to do? Are you really okay with that? And church, I've been challenged that I'm not. What if we really understood that our joy as Christ followers, church, wasn't contingent on our relationships or our circumstances? What if we understood that our joy as Christ followers didn't have to rise and fall? Listen to this. Here's the deal. Your joy as a Christ follower, my joy as a Christ follower, doesn't have to rise and fall on the rhythm of our day. Now, some of you are wanting to scream out at this very moment. I can tell it. I, I, I just thought this as I, as I wrote that line. I thought, Andy, you are cruising for a bruising, buddy. 
That's what I thought. That's honestly what I thought. Because I thought some people are going to want to stand up and they're going to want to cry out in the midst of this and look at me and say, Pastor, you have no idea the kind of junk that I'm dealing with in my life. Some of you are wanting to stand up and scream out that life is tough for you right now. Some of you are wanting to stand up and scream out that you feel alone right now. So why in the world could you possibly have joy in your life? Some of you want to raise your hand and tell me that right now. And listen, I get it. As I look around this room, as I look back here to Brother Holly, as I look all around this facility, I see the faces of people who have dealt with or are currently dealing with some significant issues in life. I look around and I see folks that have every reason to turn in their joy card for a little joylessness. You've lost. You've been hurt. You've been betrayed. Church, I want to remind you this morning that our joy is dependent on nothing else than our coming to God and seeking his joy for our lives. And here's the problem. We work so hard Here's the problem. We work so hard at trying to correct our actions without realizing that, that what leads to our actions is our thinking. You see, that's, that's the struggle that we're having. Oh, I need to be more joyful. So let me figure out, uh, I hear what the pastor's saying. I, I agree, I need to be more joyful. So let me figure out how I can rearrange some things in this situation so that I can have more joy. Listen, having joy isn't about rearranging the circumstances of your life. It's about realigning your thinking. It's not about trying to rearrange the deck chairs as the Titanic is sinking. It's about realigning your thinking. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. You love him, he says, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I love this verse because here's why I love it so much. Because this verse has nothing to do with what we can do and everything to do with who he is. There's a difference there. We've never seen him, but we love him. We can't see him now, but we love him. And yet we're told in the midst of this scripture that we can have what it refers to as a glorious, inexpressible joy. Even when I can't see him. I read one author who phrased it like this. He said, trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when thy strength is small. Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust him, he is ever faithful. Trust him for his will is best. Trust him for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. See, church, our joy has nothing to do with our doing and everything to do with his being. You and I can have joy in the midst of darkness. We can have joy in the midst of trials. We can have joy in the midst of suffering. Because while all of this is changing around us, here it is, he isn't changing. Right? 
I mean, do you understand this concept? As all of this is changing, as death, as sickness, as disease, as, as marital strife, as financial troubles, as all of this is changing, as the loss of a job occurs, as all of that is changing, he is not. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And too often, church, our joy is wrapped up in these, in these constantly changing world around us, and we fail to remember that the true source of joy is unchangeable. Psalm chapter 125, verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Listen, if that doesn't elicit some joy from you, church, then check your pulse, man. Something's wrong. I mean, are you kidding me? God is with us. He may seem quiet. He may seem distant. He may seem far from you. But listen, he is with you. And you are secure. And if for no other reason than that, church, you and I can have joy. Because we know he is ever ever present. But here's the good news. That's not the only reason that you and I can and should have joy. We can have joy because we know, church, what lies on the other side. We know what lies on the other side of heartache. We understand and we know in our hearts what lies on the other side of betrayal. We know what lies on the other side of attack. We know what lies on the other side of job loss. We know what lies on the other side of sickness. So let's continue with this idea of not rearranging our circumstances, but really understanding that it's not about that, but it's about realigning our thinking. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Psalm chapter 27. It's a great example of someone not trying to rearrange their circumstances to have joy, but rather someone rearranging their thinking to really begin to understand the source of true joy. Psalm chapter 27. This is David writing. He says this in verse 1 to 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. I mean, church, this passage is just, is just packed full of right thinking. Amen? Look at what David says. He says, the Lord is my fortress. Protect me from danger, so why should I tremble? Right thinking. He says, though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Right thinking. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Right thinking. 
There's nothing in this passage that communicates that God is going to, to, to take it all away, that God's going to make it all better, that God's going to wipe it all out, that God's not going to allow him to endure some things. But even in the midst of that, David had right thinking and knew that his joy came from the Lord and the Lord alone. It's as if David was fully aware that his joy was not rooted in his circumstances. If I'm in danger, I'm safe. If I'm surrounded, I'm not afraid. If I'm tacked, I'm confident. How could David, how could David be, be so sure? How could David be so confident? Because listen, church, he knew what lie on the other side. He knew that victory would ultimately be his. He knew that ultimately he would be delivered. And listen to how this section ends. I don't know if you caught it, but listen to how this section ends. Even in the midst of attack, even in the midst of, of danger, David finds himself, listen to this, at the sanctuary of the Lord, offering sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord God with music. That's bananas. <laughs> I mean, when is the last time, church, that you and I, in the midst of a joyless season, in the midst of attack, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulations, when is the last time that you and I found ourselves in the midst of that, at the temple of the Lord, in the midst of our struggles, shouting out, with joy, offering sacrifices to the Lord. That's a result, church, of, of, of realigned thinking and not rearranged circumstances. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Sometimes towards the end of our preaching time, we kind of meld together our prayer times. And that's fine. But this morning, I'm going to ask that we do something different. I'm going to ask that we not meld those things together. We're going to have a prayer time here, and I'm going to challenge you to consider the, the, the source of your joy in life. And, and then we're going to have another prayer time, as, as we normally do, where, where folks can come and pray about uh, different various issues, and those are important, and we're going to, we're going to carve out that time. But this morning... This morning, we're going to separate those for, for just a minute. And I really want to offer you, church, an opportunity to cry out to the Lord specifically on this topic of joy. We're going to focus on that just for a, a few minutes, and then we'll, then we'll move into the other sections. There's a song that's written really by a few different guys but it's made popular by a guy named David Crowder. And it's entitled, Come As You Are. And let me read you some of these lyrics. And church, I believe that, you know, this, this is just, this is just, just divinely inspired. You know, I didn't, I didn't ask those guys, I didn't ask these guys to do this song. I mean, I happened to look down and see that it was, that it was this song, and I thought, Wow. I mean, what a perfect, perfect illustration of what I believe God is calling us to in the area of joy. Listen to these lyrics. It says, come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted. Let the rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow, listen, that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens Lay down your shame. All who are broken, listen to this reference to the joy. Lift up your face. Oh, wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. 
Lay down your heart. Come as you are. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. There's joy for the morning. O sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. See, church, listen, that's the challenge that I believe God is calling us to. This morning, I believe God is calling us to to make an exchange, to bring our joylessness, to bring our sorrow, to bring our sadness, to bring this season of frustration and anger and discouragement and depression that we're in. I believe he's calling us to bring that to him and to pick up his joy. To be reminded that our joy is not dependent on rearranging our circumstances, but realigning our thinking and knowing that God is ever present, that God is with us, that he will protect us, that he will provide for us, that in the midst of the storm, he is there. So even in the midst of the storm, church, I can have joy. So if that's you this morning, I just invite you to come. We're going to move into the other time of prayer and we'll have a time to pray for those physical needs and spiritual needs. We're going to do that. But I just want to carve out just these next few moments for those of you that are feeling like, you know what? I'll take that offer. I'll make the switch. In the words of Paul, who prayed over the believers gathered at Rome, allow me to pray this prayer over you as we respond. I pray that the God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Begin to come.